0: This is an E-Impulse heartbeat with your host, Sarah Medeiros.
1: Welcome back to E-Impulse. So a couple of months ago, I read this New York Times article with the headline, Trank Dope, animal sedative mixed with fentanyl brings fresh horrors to the U.S. drug zone. And maybe that's a bit of sensationalism, but the article goes on to talk about how this new breed of fentanyl can cause terrible non-healing wounds. Obviously, I wanted to know more, so I hit up one of our medical toxicologists, Dr. Han Wen. Han, I'll let you introduce yourself.
0: My name is Han Wen. I'm one of the military assistant program directors here, as well as one of the medical toxicologists. I'll put out my standard disclaimer that anything I say today is my own opinions and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government.
1: So let's start with the basics. What is Dope?
0: Trank dope is a mixture of xylazine and fentanyl. According to unclassified DEA intelligence reports, trank is used to refer to the xylazine portion, and dope seems to refer to opioid. It doesn't necessarily need to be fentanyl. If you want to know more about xylazine, it's officially used in veterinary medicine as a sedative. It was first made in 1962 by Bayer and was studied in humans But because of bad CNS depression and hypotension, those trials were stopped pretty quickly.
1: So why is it being added to fentanyl here or other opioids?
0: Since their overall effects overlap, they're somewhat synergistic. Purportedly, it may act to enhance the high from the opioid or enable lower doses of the opioid for the same sedation or analgesia, or it may extend the effect overall. People may unknowingly seek it out for some of those effects, but not actually know that xylazine has been added to their fentanyl. It's also relatively cheap. You can buy it on bulk and may increase profits from drug traffickers.
1: Is xylazine being added to other street drugs?
0: Yeah. Um, if we go back to a little bit of the history, it was first noted in Puerto Rico in 2001. And the initial cases in Philadelphia appeared as early as 2006. We saw a bit of a wider presence starting in 2010. Some of the initial kind of medical literature noted that individuals would use it with speedball or cocaine plus heroin. Um, Some use it with just cocaine itself, and there are individual reports of it being combined with ketamine. Predominantly, it seems mixed with an opioid, but it can possibly be found with other agents.
1: Okay, so in the New York Times article, they say that more than 90% of dope samples tested in Philadelphia had xylazine in them. How widespread is this? And are there any regional differences?
0: That New York Times article cites the Department of Public Health for the city of Philadelphia. It's actually hard to find numbers for the different departments of public health across the U.S. Xylazine isn't regularly tested for in both forensic and medical laboratories. But the DEA does do individual screening tests. Per their data, there's been a dramatic increase over the past year across all four census regions across the United States. And its emergence seems to follow what happened with fentanyl. It started in the northeast U.S., kind of migrated towards the south, and then worked its way westward. It's been found in at least 48 of our states And their forensic lab reports suggest that 23% of fentanyl powder and 7% of fentanyl pills that have been seized contain xylazine. The Western US has seen an increase over the past year, but still lags behind the Northeast and the South when it comes to raw numbers. When it comes to here at UC Davis, our lab doesn't test for xylazine. And since their clinical manifestations are very similar, even if you had suspected it, there would be no way to really confirm.
1: So it's probably here. We just might not know it. And it may not be quite as prevalent as the Northeast, at least at this point. What are some of the potential dangers and side effects of using dope that's been laced with xylazine?
0: Yeah. As we already mentioned, the effect is synergistic. Um, patients may be more sedated or more susceptible to respiratory depression um, than you would normally expect. Most clinicians can use clonidine overdose as a framework as to what to expect from xylazine. Respiratory depression, meiosis, and it will have more hemodynamic effects than what you would generally expect from just fentanyl alone. If you remember what clonidine does, it's one of the bradycardia hypotension drugs. Um, So it can cause some of those effects seen there.
1: So let's talk about these necrotic, non-healing wounds that are said to be associated with xylazine fentanyl. Is this real, and what are some of the potential mechanisms?
0: Unfortunately, it does appear to be real. Besides the numerous media reports and individual testimonials, most of the description comes from results in Puerto Rico. A study in 2014 noted individuals who used xylazine, either in combination with other drugs or on its own... Over a third of them had some sort of skin lesion. The hypothesized mechanism is both the peripheral vasoconstriction followed by the hypotension and bradycardia causes lower tissue oxygenation and increases the risk for infection, poor wound healing, and chronic wounds overall. No one's validated those suspicions, but that's the most sense we can make of it.
1: That makes sense. Do we think that it matters how the drug is used, whether it's smoked, snorted, injected, etc.? That's
0: a more difficult question. From the medical literature, most of the cases were associated with injection use of xylazine. But no one really has tried to take efforts to distinguish the rates of these skin complications between inhalational or intravenous use. Most abuse seems to be either inhalational or injectional. I don't see many reports of people smoking it, but it's really hard to say. No literature describes how long a person needs to use it um, or if there's a threshold or length of time associated to when they will develop these lesions.
1: Now, in the ED, we often see opioid use disorder presenting as either overdose or acute withdrawal. So let's start with that overdose presentation. Are there any specific challenges or complications to treating opioid overdose if we suspect xylazine is involved?
0: Generally, no, but you may note a ineffectiveness of your naloxone. If you use clonidine as a correlate, maybe high doses of naloxone will affect the imidazolines. The drug class in which xylazine is in, but you typically need doses perhaps greater than 10 milligrams. In adults, you're not going to use that dose. More recent reviews of xylazine show that doses of naloxone less than 2 milligrams will not affect the xylazine portion of it. I'm not saying that you should start extending and increasing your doses of naloxone. I would use it more so as you normally would for just the opioid. So that means titrate your naloxone to respiratory depression while being vigilant for withdrawal symptoms and using bag valve masking and intubation as you normally would. The thing that you may see a bit more of, as we kind of briefly mentioned, are the hemodynamic changes. So unlike the hypotension you might get from a fentanyl from just over sedation, Xylazine actually affects the heart rate and the blood pressure overall. There's no big change or something crazy that you have to do. In many cases, it may be responsive to fluids. And if you need to, you can use your same norepinephrine or epinephrine as necessary.
1: Now, what about the withdrawal aspect? Do we need to be concerned about withdrawal from xylazine as well as opioid withdrawal? And how does it affect our treatment?
0: Yeah, it may complicate the treatment of opioid withdrawal um, a little bit. So xylazine withdrawal has been described. It's very similar to clonidine withdrawal. And the two withdrawal syndromes actually kind of overlap. Since buprenorphine and methadone shouldn't affect the alpha-adrenergic receptor that xylazine and clonidine affect, you may note opioid withdrawal-like symptoms, tachycardia, hypertension, anxiousness despite you giving a person methadone and buprenorphine. That being said, clonidine is an adjunct that's used in opioid withdrawal and should address the xylazine portion of things. In severe cases, patients who have been hospitalized for a combination of both withdrawals, they've been successfully managed with things such as dexmedetomidine, buprenorphine, as well as other sedatives, And in these case reports, those patients are successfully transitioned to an outpatient buprenorphine plus clonidine regimen.
1: Now, if a patient presents with any of these non-healing wounds, are there any specific treatments we should consider?
0: The medical literature is very limited in this regard. Uh, Most of it is statistical description. No one has actually looked at mechanisms or theoretical treatments for these. I would say at this time, you would do as you normally do for chronic wounds, check for infections, use antibiotics as necessary, good wound care, surgical debridement if um, you need to go to that point. So nothing too groundbreaking.
1: What about some of those special populations, such as adolescents or pregnant people or um, people with other chronic illnesses?
0: We may be able to inform more for the adolescent side of things, but mainly because we have correlates to clonidine. So based off of the clonidine literature, there doesn't seem to be a difference in risk between pediatric and adult patients. You may be more willing to use high doses of naloxone to try to reverse things in a pediatric patient because they're not as at risk for opioid withdrawal. But that really is the only difference. When it comes to pregnant patients, I know the FDA is trying to move away from the letter categorizations, but clonidine is category C, so there's not much data there. And you'd probably be able to say the same thing for xylazine. The hypotension and bradycardia certainly will not help in a pregnant individual, but I don't believe there's anyone that's characterized if there's any increased risk for anything specific. When it comes to chronic illnesses, one can hypothesize that a person with peripheral vascular disease or diabetes is set up for worse complications if they use xylazine on top of everything, but that would be mainly conjecture at this point.
1: So how can we help educate our patients and help them stay safe if they're using street drugs that might contain xylazine?
0: You may tell them that it seems to be an increasing part of our reality, if not already in the majority of the fentanyl supply. The DEA thinks that we may be underestimating its prevalence just because of those testing limitations that we have. You can't say with confidence that they will be able to avoid it. If Puerto Rico and Philadelphia are examples, then 90% adulteration may become our reality here in the Western U.S. If your patients are concerned about all of these unknowns, this might be your in to starting to motivate transitions to medication-assisted therapy for opioid use disorder.
1: Yeah, that could be a good window for you. Any final thoughts or tips for emergency physicians?
0: In general... What you're going to do day-to-day for an acute opioid overdose is not going to change much. Um, you may be more vigilant for vital signs changes, but you're going to do the same thing as you normally do. Chronic wounds, you'll treat as you do normally for chronic wounds. I would emphasize that you should continue to encourage medication-assisted therapy and substance use treatment. And lastly, if you ever need help, the poison control systems here. 1-800-222-1222.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much for talking with us today, Han.